to get started soon. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not talking to my friends. It's it's Bill and Paul. Oh, sorry. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Didn't um. That's right. You're not talking to your friends. No way. <laughs> you are talking to your. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. How you guys doing? I'm doing eight. How you doing? Good, good. I want to know. I, I mean, it's not that I wake up every Thursday morning and just have my phone waiting for a Facebook message to pop up. <laughs> well, it God, seems like it's Bill been every Thursday boom, lately. Boom, boom, boom. I'm there. I'm there. Hmm. <laughs> How's your uh, 2019 going, Bill? The dog just answered for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I might... I think Katie graduates from college, I want to say, later this year. Like, she's taking an extra semester, so it may not be until the winter for this year. So, but she'll be... No, Katie, like, took some extra courses to get some other type of minor or major. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know if I'll make it back up there. Uh, I know Jen will definitely be up there, but I don't know if I'll be able to go as well. well if you're in the Buckeye State, we'll try to we'll try to find you. Yeah, last time I was there, as close as I got to you was uh, Wapakoneta. Yeah. Yep. You right just made that back. up. No, no, I didn't. That's where that's where the Neil Armstrong Museum is. Is Wapakoneta? You pass it on the interstate going up to Toledo. Yep. They got a nice, nice museum there. It's pretty cool. But don't you fly into? I think I remember one time you flew into Detroit well, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One time I flew into the outskirts of Detroit. Yeah. And then and then help them drive back. Right. That's right. And, and then then another time we drove up on like her first Thanksgiving that she was away because her birthday is right around Thanksgiving. So we surprised right. her. Didn't tell her we were coming up. So Columbus isn't that much of a detour. Well, it is when you got my. My wife. Well, it was like two hours, I think. <laughs> but everything was like very re- re- regimented by the old lady. Okay. I was lucky okay. to find a couple, like three co- comic stores that were close by, and one had one had like twenty five cent books, and mm-hmm. yeah, they do box upon box. And then my wife was with me, and I'm just like, uh, 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 uh let me just look through this box real quick, and she's like. Oh. <laughs> I found uh, my uh, my LCS uh, just the last few last week or so. They must have added in a collection because mm. I bought a bunch of coverless '70s DC books for a quarter. Hundred page Batman. Wow, 
doesn't have a cover. My so my, my anal retentive side gives me a problem I with coverlets. I know, I know. That's the same thing. There was uh, Kyle Benning or someone else said that on. Well, just go online and print them and <laughs> put it in the bag and board. You know. I'm, I'm going to go online. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go online. I'm going to print it on a <laughs> shitty printer. Then I'm going to use some tape to attach it to the book, and then I'm going to go get it. Uh, and then I'm going to go get it graded, graded and sealed. <laughs> there you go. How much is it worth? Well, twenty-five cents plus whatever it should be. It was it was worth a quarter till you put the cover on it. Now it's worth less. Well, now since we seal it, it's fifty dollars. Exactly. How stupid well, pay, is that? Pay, pay us fifty dollars to tell you it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. How, is that what they charge? I don't even know. No, I I don't know what they charge. I've never got one done, and I never will. So I, I probably I, I I don't see myself ever doing it. Yeah. But I never say never. Yep, anything is possible. Because you know, I, I mean, I do have a couple of books in my collection that are worth some money. And if for some reason somebody said to me, "Well, if you get it slabbed, I'll give you you know X number of dollars right. for it," okay. it'll be it'll be slabbed. <laughs> that is the uh, you know just the nature of my existence. Mm-hmm. Mm. <clears throat> So <clears throat> we should get into this because I think uh, I think Bill's got an early call and I'm always tired. Mm. <laughs> so we should get rolling. Yes. <clears throat> you and you have you have school tomorrow? I do not. No Friday classes. You know why? Because mm. no kids like to sign up for Friday <laughs> classes. That's pretty much it. That is pretty much it. Last, last semester, my daughter had a Friday class, and she was kicking herself the entire semester <laughs> that she signed up for it. This semester, neither of my kids have Friday classes. See, see they're learning. They're, see, the education is paying off. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure how, but... I, I was going to offer to read the synopsis for this book. I have the Iron Man Index book, but I can't find it. I have the Iron Man Index book, the synopsis, oh. and it sucks. Oh, it, it does. <laughs> I did take a look at it. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to say this, and I you you just going to say that Al Gore wrote this book? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think we should we should have a good amount of talk on both of these though, because they they both have some interesting things about them. Yes. <laughs> I well, I'll save these. Uh, I'll save that comment until till we get to. Uh, yeah, I'll just wait. Save the good material. Save the good material. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and I'm with these two guys. Hey, what's up? Oh, ah. And if, of course you recognize the voices, so I don't need to introduce them, but <laughs> just just for the heck of it, that's Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> and Professor Alan Middleton. <laughs> who is in playing the role of Scott Gardner today. <laughs> now, hey, you know what? You, you hey, kinda, how, you, how you doing? You kind of are, because lately it has been Scott's proclivity to bring... The odd indie book, and although you have a DC, you brought the odd Actually indie book. Speaking, yes, yes. And we're going to get to that one in a little while, and boy, is that interesting! But we'll do the Dolph book first. In the meanwhile, uh, Alan, you were saying uh, you recently came upon uh, some twenty-five cent bargains. Yeah, my my uh, LCS World's Greatest Comics is pretty good about rotating the. Uh, the inventory through those through those quarter bins pretty regularly, and uh, they must have either bought a collection or grabbed a, a run out of the out of the warehouse. But 
had a great run of some of my favorite kinds of books, 70s DCs with no covers, because that's the only way they end up in the 25-cent bin, mm. including a 100-pager, 100-page Batman issue. I sure. mean, I guess I guess 98 pages because it didn't have the cover. And some <laughs> darn seven-year-old had already done the maze. Is, mm. is it 100 sheets or 100 pages? 100 pages. So, so you lo- you lost four pages then because you got front cover, front uh, inside well, no. cover, well, back stapled. cover, back inside each cover. Each page is only each each sheet is only two pages because it's so thick it's stapled together. So if each page so is it's two, not if stapled it, in the middle, it's stapled in on the on the binding. Right, but if each sheet is two pages and you lost both covers, that's four pages. That back cover may still have been there. Ooh, because it's that's, one of those. You that's know, a value yeah. find right there. <laughs> How many books did you buy? I think I bought a dozen. Oh, that wasn't too big of just just a mere three dollars worth of books. Which was, uh, and I bought one new one off the shelf, so it equaled out. <laughs> <laughs> I I we, you know we, we were talking before we started recording, and I do have uh, I I would have a problem buying a coverless book. It would just bother me to no end. I have about. I would say maybe three Silver Age, you know, quality books that have like a half cover on them, and it just bothers me. I think one of them is <laughs> Spider-Man number 27, and someone had cut the top logo, you know, where it says The Amazing Spider-Man off of it, and uh, I, I don't know, I think I bought it for like a buck, but it still bothers me. <laughs> so, I... I of course it does. I mean, I, I would hardly be one to turn down 25-cent books, but I don't know if they would actually make their way into the collection. I think they would just be reading fodder and then give them away to somebody. That is what all of these are, for sure. Okay. Read well, them then. and give them away, or if uh, in, in, in some cases I have some, especially our, our old buddy Rob Lance is really good at this, sending me books that are one read away from falling apart. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how he figures that out. But as I read as I read them they fall apart and so and I I do not mind being a comics last stop on the way to literally the recycling bin. <laughs> I am way overdue to uh, have Mr. Lance on the show. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we we did we did discuss his coming on and, and we haven't gone any further with it and and that's my fault. I need to contact him and find out his availability and get him on. He, he was a fountain of information, the show yes, we did with him. Yes, If you want that, uh, as I said, he is that guy at your comic store. <laughs> so, What's right, new, I, Bill? Uh, I had to step away for a minute and go yell at the people. They all decided to crowd into the kitchen and talk loudly. So I had you, to mute and go like, shut up! You mean your family? <laughs> yeah, them people. <laughs> Those people that live here. Those troublemakers. Yeah. So, uh, so today oh. Uh, we oh, have. Oh wait! I was going to maybe answer the questions from the question and answer thing that you answered for me. Oh sure, go ahead. That, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, not digging the Avengers, although I have started to with the recent change in the storyline. But up to this point, yeah, West Coast Avengers, like the first, uh, I don't know, six or seven issues, meh. But they brought back the uh, like a new oh, Masters of Evil or whatever. I can't remember. Like, they're calling themselves, like, Masters of Evil West Coast. And it's basically a lot of the classic villains from the West Coast Avengers ganging up on the new the new team. Um, it's getting a little better. Uh, 
the regular Avengers book has taken a turn that I find interesting. So that's getting a little bit better. Eh, the whole thing with the this well, I don't want to spoil anything anything for any any one with that book. And then they've got a new weekly series coming out now. Um, you know, more more money, more money. Get that three ninety nine or four ninety nine a week. It's what they did last uh, last year too. They had like a weekly. Well, they they took the regular book and canceled a bunch of the other books that they were putting out, and then had one long serial series like each week so now they're still putting out the regular book but they're now also doing a weekly book and that story is actually pretty interesting so far so and I think that's that kinda, how they get you yeah the fantastic four with this issue finally got a little better because you know what your 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 boy you your your my your man boss, your boss he uh, really is is the man i don't know if you've read him or if you know what's going on He's really stuck it to those fan, those pesky Fantastic Four with this one. And Galactus. And Galactus, yeah. It's a twofer. Next mm-hmm. up, Squirrel Girl. Then then all his revenge will, will be, be accomplished. <laughs> I'm gonna, Fantastic Four is getting a little better also. I'm going to actually hit you guys up with questions that came in after we recorded. Oh, okay. So now... Uh, Nate Rhea asks, do you think that having so many variants now hurts comic collecting? I would say I think having so many variants has always hurt comic collecting. Well, I I think it now hurts the stores more because of what they have to purchase to get the variant. They have to purchase X amount of copies of a regular variant of a plane cover just to get that one variant. Not that they didn't have to do that before. But I think it's even more stringent now with what they have to order, and then they're they're basically hoping they can sell this one. You know, then you come in and it's like this variant's fifty dollars. Well, because the store had to buy probably fifty ish. You know, they've got to make their money back somewhere because they're not going to pump out the other fifty copies of that book that they had to get to that stupid variant. But on the other hand, where do the non-variant books that they bought? Those extra books, where do they end up? Quarter bin. Hello. <laughs> Cutching. Except in Florida, it's dollar bin. Dollar. That's because you guys are swimming in money, unlike Alan's part of the country. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do like what DC does, because they don't necessarily have sort of those, that traditional sort of variant like Bill's talking about. But they do have, a, a lot of their books will have two covers, and it's just a choice. Just an option. There's I no, prefer that. There's, yeah. there's no limitation, or, or you know, you, they just have two covers. Well, and I, I guess we, some some complete completionists, you know, might want two, but you know, <laughs> usually one is more of a traditional comic, and one is more of a poster type shot. That's usually how they do them. Right. Well, well, like this weekly Avengers series that's going on, the, all the co- all the covers combine to make one picture. Mm. Right. So I've been making sure I get the ones. There's 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 the regular, and then there's I guess you could call it a wrap. A, it's not wrap around, but when you know it's piecemeal, so that you can make one long poster with all of them together. So I've been trying to get those, and it's not costing me any extra. If it was, it'd be like, nah, no, I don't think so. But yeah, I would say yes. I do think variants don't help. It's only for the crazy collector. Mm-hmm. And then there's not enough. If you ask me, there's not enough of them out there. To support that. No, I agree. And I, that's why I said I think they've always hurt. I think uh, they tend to inflate uh, 
that '90s attitude that we had uh, mm-hmm. with people speculating that the variant is going to be worth a billion dollars one day. So I need to get it. Uh, let me let you in on a clue. It's not. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. just silliness when you come down to it. I think. Well, so. I could give I could give you just one basic rule about that, is that if the item itself says collector's edition, then it's not. <laughs> there you go. So now Russell asks us, have you guys read the newer Back to the Future comics? I have mm. not. I don't know what no. in, what in, what encompasses newer. I know on one of the early episodes of this show, Scott covered a uh, Back to the Future comic I don't even remember who was the publisher of it, and I don't know if that's newer or if there's something that's come out like in the last couple of years. I would say your best bet is to talk to Dave Weeder about that because he's the Back to the Future aficionado. Mm, right. Yeah, no, I, I have not read any. Ranger Gord asks us, with all the attention on Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd love to hear a discussion of the original gang, Major Vance Astro and such. You could cover their original one-shot appearance in Marvel Superheroes in 1968, and maybe go up to their appearances in Marvel 2 and 1 and Defenders, then their 1975 run in Marvel Presents, and if you're ambitious, the 1990s series. That would be very ambitious. That would be like we were doing Guardians of the Galaxy Spotlight. Uh, yeah. Well, we kind of did cover at one them. Point, yeah, good. Didn't you cover like the the Groot first appearance? That that well, rings we, a bell. That's so oh yeah, we, yeah, we, we did. did. More of a horror book than anything else, but yeah. and we we did a score episode on the Guardians when Guardians of the Galaxy two came out, and uh, I first appeared one of my first podcasts ever before I was on this show. I did one with uh, oh my god, all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. Uh, was it the Comic Page podcast? I think, and we did uh, we did that original run, the, the first issue plus the Marvel two in one, uh, and Defenders appearances. So well, we also covered them extensively because they were tied into the Korvac saga when we did yeah. Avengers Spotlight. And yeah, that so was the team. so Ranger Gord, we have hit on the Guardians. I don't know that we're going to do any particularly ambitious runs, but you never know. Uh, let, let me just let me just run this idea by you. <laughs> Guardian Spotlight. <laughs> you got something in your throat? You all right? <laughs> M, M, save your dad. <laughs> Arthur Ratnick asks, I have a question. How are you going to answer these, this question five hours after the show is done? In well, our own time, sir. Th- this is how time. we're going to do it. <laughs> time travel, buddy. This time is how travel. we do it. Ian Levenstein asks, General Zod or General Ross? Hmm. I, I find I, I find Zod, Zod I find Zod to be a more exciting character. Mm-hmm. Yes, but who would I want ruling over me? Probably General Ross. <laughs> he would, might be less apt to kill me. I, I would think there's a slim chance he's more benevolent, but not. <laughs> but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily count that as a, an absolute bet on it. <laughs> I was a betting man. Logan oh, Garrett. Logan Garrett asks us, do you guys remember the first back issue you ever bought? Mine was the classic Amazing Spider-Man 33 for a dollar back in the mid-80s. Wow, that's a great buy. Also, just throwing this out here, I think the great story arc to cover one day would be the death of Gene DeWolf from Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man 107 to 110. Always loved Spider's, Spidey's interaction with Daredevil in that story. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my first back issues, my, I've said so many times Spider-Man 131 was my first issue that I purchased, that I purchased, like, kind of knowing 
wow, I want to collect these. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Spider-Man 130 was the first back issue I collected. I'm not sure because I remember first being introduced to comics by my aunt, my, my great aunt that lived in New Jersey. She had a, uh, not a creepy guy, but he rented a room. Uh, it was like a townhouse, whatever. He rented like the top floor, the top room up there. And he had a bunch of comics and, and like he gave me a bunch of comics and a lot of them were like DC. Um, um, There's like one. What's the two guys there in the house? Is it House of Mystery? I want to that's say that's three like guys, what, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Or is it? Or is, is it Cain and Abel? It's Cain and Abel, I think. Yeah. House it, of Secrets. It, it, House of Mystery. One of them, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's that's the first one that I remember that sticks in my head. Um, that I would, have, but I mean, it was I didn't actually buy it. It was given to me, but I think that's one of the first comics that I remember reading. The story stuck with me too. It was like one guy got strapped to some fireworks and was shot up into the sky and blown up, and then there was also a vampire in that book. Pretty sexy vampire, if I recall. But, yeah, I was like nine <laughs> or eight. I don't know. I've said too much. <laughs> I remember Bill said being given comics, and I remember trading comics. I remember buying new comics, but in terms of you know specifically looking for older comics or back issues, I'm trying to just. I, I, I can't remember if I went to a comic store first. Or did a mail order first? So I got no idea. I, I would say the first like full hardcore finding back issues was in like not a comic book store, but in bookstores where they would just have them in boxes, mm -hmm. and you would just dig them out and flip through them, and it would be a random. You know, you were. I remember looking for Iron Man books that uh, that, that that way. Back then, they may have been quarter boxes. Could be, yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Just that's caught us up on the rest of the questions that were asked of us, and I'm I'm glad that we didn't just leave them out there, you know, unanswered. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we'll cover some books. Mm -hmm. Yay! So I brought Iron Man number twenty-five from May of nineteen seventy, which has a Marie Severin cover. Now, normally I love Marie Severin's work. Uh, this one, not quite so much. Uh, it's got a shot of Iron Man kind of flying towards the upper right of the, uh, he's, he's front and center, but he's flying towards the upper right and he's flying away from Namor. Who's looks like he's got a Jeep or a truck holding it up with one hand, ready to throw it at him. Iron Man shooting a repulsor ray at him. And there's a city in flames behind them. Namor is saying surrender Iron Man or die. And then at the bottom it says, Up from the Seething Sea, the Submariner. It's not a bad cover, it's just uh, I don't like the way the Submariner looks, and he's got about a 15-inch waist, so it, it just doesn't look right to me. 15-inch waist and a 45-inch chest. Yeah. yeah. You borrow Ricardo Montalban's chest for this book. So the, the issue is titled, This Doomed Land, This Dying Sea, written by Archie Goodwin. Penciled by Johnny Craig, who I'm not all right, familiar all right. with. Well, I was, well okay. Because one of my first things was, who the hell is Johnny Craig? I've uh, never heard this name. Me neither. Okay. Inked nope. by Sam Granger. I would think I know why. Lettered by Gene Izzo. And edited by Stanley. Why, Bill? I don't think the art's that good. <laughs> it's not, but it's not so bad that I can see him getting it, a little has, more work. It has moments. There, it may be a non de plume. Uh, possibly. Why don't you look him up while I give a synopsis? 
Oh, you're just trying to shut me up, aren't you? Yeah, I, I've, I guess I'm getting that's, predictable that's now. That's just a pleasant side effect. <laughs> so the story opens with uh, a scene that I'd expect to see in a Silver Age Superman comic. Uh, Iron Man. It's got a splash page of Iron Man with a dead woman in his arms coming towards the reader with uh, n- noxious gas fumes in the air behind him. And he's saying, she's dead, killed by the very atmosphere of our own Earth. An atmosphere so polluted, so befouled, we can no longer breathe it and live. My built-in oxygen supply will last a few more seconds, then I'll join the rest of mankind and extinct species. Does Tony Stark sound like a guy who would say befouled? I'm just asking the question. I think we've all used the word befouled at some point (laughs) in, in this conversation. Yeah, I was saying something about ducks. There'd be some fouls over there. I mean, I was at the baseball game. I didn't know if that ball be fair or be foul, but... (laughs) So it turns out that this isn't actually happening. This is a dramatic uh, presentation filmed for Tony Stark to present at a meeting of a bunch of uh, industrialists. Filmed for a live audience. He's asking them to all uh, take up his cause and and try and uh, be uh, atmospherically responsible. And they're all saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't waste our time with your stupid commercials, and we're not interested. So to try and get them interested, he wants to tell them a story of a recent event in his life. And it starts off with the Submariner swimming underwater, of all things, and coming into uh, contact with an area of the sea that is terribly polluted. And he finds a pipeline that is uh, piping the the sludge into the sea and he's freaking out so badly that he grabs a dead fish and is swinging it around under the sea so he he goes and he he uses some rocks to pinch off the end of it so that he can't let the sludge out and then he decides to follow it to where its source of uh, crap is coming from Then we cut to Tony, who's meeting with his project head on the Meridian Island project. And this guy's name is Blaine Ordway. And he's worked up this this project, apparently, with Tony totally oblivious to what's going on. uh, Where he's got it all running. He's got a whole island... you know, where, where he's, he hasn't actually followed the rules that Tony set forth. He was supposed to leave uh, some vegetation. Uh, uh. He didn't. He was supposed to have certain precautions in effect. He didn't. He created a, a big solar energy converter, which looks like the, uh, I forget what they call it, the thing from the mo- first Iron Man movie. Uh, the, the arc reactor? The, arc, the, the big the, arc. The, yep. the, yeah, the giant arc reactor from the first Iron Man movie. It, it definitely, that's what it looks like to me. Anyway, it's, it's supposed to be, it's something where it's going to absorb solar energy for however long, and then it's going to totally take, play, take be, be the only energy source for years to come. And while they're discussing it, Blaine's fiance comes bursting in to say something's gone wrong, the disposal pl- pumps are breaking down, which is exactly what Namor had just done. And just by the way, because here we, the next page we have, uh, you know, the thing where it says what issues are coming out this month. And in Submariner 25, he's apparently declaring war on the surface world because of pollution. So it's kind of uh, the same thing going on in two books at the same time. But it's not a continuation of the same story. 
He's anyway, got a theme. Yeah, so uh, Tony, Blaine, and his fian- and Blaine's fiance go outside where now there's noxious air all over the place. And while they're trying to figure out what's going on, the submariner bursts out of the sea and just starts destroying stuff. Uh, <laughs> they they will use tissues to try and <laughs> to try and help themselves to breathe because yeah, that's going to filter it all out. Tony t- changes into his Iron Man armor because of the distraction that took place, and he engages Namor in battle. Namor is they go back and forth for a little while. Namor gets him under the water. And then they they actually burst open a uh, the 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 tube that's bringing the stuff out of the uh, plant. Tony realizes that it, that that they are actually polluting everything and that Namor is right, but he needs to subdue Tony uh, subdue the Submariner long enough to do something about it because the Submariner is just trying to destroy everything. So he uses steam to dry out the Submariner and pins him up against a, a, a wall and then uses some steel to hold him in place while he goes and figures out what's going on. While this is happening, Blaine's fiance drops and she's ready to die. And uh, Iron Man comes back and confronts him, says, you know, you, you screwed everything up by cutting corners and now look what's going on. Your arc reactor is actually causing the noxious fumes to be worse. And the fact that you didn't have, that you cut all the vegetation out is preventing there from being any new oxygen created in the area. So basically, you totally screwed up everything. Anyway, now once he gets to this point, he releases the Submariner because he needs his help to destroy uh, the, the stuff that's coming out of the plant. And the two of them team up together. And, well, actually, Tony passes out, and Namor, realizing that he was doing right by them, rescues him. And the two of them lift up a giant boulder and then drop it into the sea to cause a tidal wave which kind of clears off the uh, noxious stuff that's there but it destroys the island just the same all the people in it were in some sort of protective rooms and all is well except Blaine died a, a, a victim of his own greed and then it cuts back to Tony meeting up with the industrialists and they all say uh Crusading, crusading and changes cost money, Tony. We're not all independently wealthy like you. We're responsible to, to board members, stockholders. Besides, who will know what will ha- really happen in 10 or 30 years? You shouldn't let it upset. You shouldn't let the island business upset you. Things will work out. We got plenty of time. So the story ends on a, on a down note with none of the people wanting to do right by them, and Al Gore cried. <laughs> and to be no. fair. The world did end between 1980 and 2000. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, hold on. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is so heavy-handed the way this is written. Uh, I guess it's written. You know, this goes back to what I've talked about in the past that these books weren't read for weren't written rather for middle-aged men to read and break them down. You know, these these were, were written to be read probably by somebody between you know, nine and 12 years old, and for them to say, yeah, pollution is bad, it makes the Indian on the side of the road cry. You mean the Italian guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even supposed to say Indian anymore. I forget that. Native American. Native American. Indigenous people. Played by Italians. 
So page so. 16, where Iron Man is gripping Blaine, he's got his collar, and he's got his face, you know, his mask in his face. All I can picture was Craig T. Nelson from the end of Pol- Poltergeist. They you moved the headstones, but you didn't move the graves! <laughs> He 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 was supposed to he was supposed to put in all sorts of purifiers and didn't he figured well, he I'll just corners, I'll just pump was, it out into the ocean it's fine he was patting himself on the back for for you know cutting corners and to to, to come up with the money to create a solar converter that actually caused like a, a change in the atmosphere that wouldn't allow the noxious fumes to actually you know like it made an inverse layer which was much like Los Angeles because I don't know if anybody's ever flown into Los Angeles. I didn't really believe that whole that smog thing until I flew into Burbank once, and then we came down, and it's blue skies, blue skies, and we crossed the line, and it's brown. Literally, I watched the line in the air because it's it's kind of trapped in there by by the air currents. It's trapped in the valley. So, although this is on an island, so I don't really know how that works. So maybe we're gonna let that go. Maybe Tony and and Namor should drop a giant boulder into the water by L.A. And, and yeah, take wash care away of it. LA and all. <laughs> now I'm going to retract my statement about the art because maybe it's because I was reading and maybe the heavy-handedness of the story was making me a little edgy. Because looking back, as just as you were telling the story, there's only a few spots that the art doesn't look that bad. And I did look up Mr. Craig, and Mr. Craig has passed away. Uh, he uh-huh. passed passed away in 2001 at age 75. Uh, it was John Thomas Alex Craig, better known as Johnny Craig, um, was an American comic book artist notable for his work with EC Comics line in the 50s. He sometimes used the pseudonyms J.T.C. and F.C. Aljohn. Um, Flowers for Aljohn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he did a lot of Western comics. Um, with Native Americans. Comics. Yeah. I'm trying to see... Hollywood, Vault of Horror. I can't really find anything that showed all of the. Oh, he worked for Atlas Comics. See, I thought he might be an artist that worked under a different name. That when we heard it, we'd recognize it. But I guess that's not the case. No. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know what his Marvel career was or his DC career. If there's anything significant in there besides oh, this it, one book. Every so often we try. Okay, this was Archie Goodwin. So it says, everyone wrote that Goodwin by now writing for Marvel said that every so often we try having him pencil, meaning Johnny Craig, and Iron Man or something, but it never worked out. He couldn't draw superheroes the way they wanted, and he couldn't hit the deadlines of a monthly book. After penciling and inking Iron Man number two and a supernatural story in Tower of Shadows, heavily retouched by uh, John, John Romano Sr., Craig became primarily an inker. He did, however, complete Iron Man 2 through 4, 14, 24, and 25, the later inked by Sam Granger. Uh, by the early 1980s, Craig stopped drawing for comics and was semi-retired until his death in 2001. He did many paintings of The Vault Keeper, Drusilla, and other EC horror titles for private commissions. And he was posthumously inducted into Will Eisner Hall of Fame on July 15, 2005 at Comic-Con International. Looking at his Wikipedia page, his style does look better suited to the EC horror genre than the superhero genre. But I don't mm-hmm. think the artwork in this book is particularly bad. I think you're right that the heavy-handedness of the story probably made it seem worse than it is. Uh, I would certainly say it's, in my mind, it's not worse than, uh, forgive me, Luke, George Tusca. Well, like the opening splash doesn't 
Iron Man looks kind of really, really looks weird. Actually, that's the one that reminded me of Tusk. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one I picture I really didn't like was the weird shot of Blaine when he's looking like he's look. He looks like he's been hit, hypnotized, or he's looking at his converter. He's like his head's at a weird angle. His eyes are open. His head's back, and his uh, fiance is running and saying, "Blaine, Blaine!" And he's just kind of like. Hey, I gave my game He's really I, scary looking in that picture. I, I I do like some of the colors, especially the un, the underwater stuff, mm-hmm. where you got the pollution, the multicolored, you know, purples and blacks coming into the the greens and blues. I think some of that. I mean, that that would be the the color. Well, and and when I still think Namor, overall, I, I like that parts of it. When Namor and Iron Man go underwater and are fighting, although at first they they actually changed the color mm-hmm. of them in the water, and I think that worked because they're underwater and the colors might be muted, uh, you know, the of right. dirt, you know, be, being so close up to land and stirring up dirt and stuff. But then, like the next page after page ten, they're still underwater and it doesn't even look they're like back they're to un- normal. They're right. back to normal, and I think that was a mistake. But uh, you know, I also am not used to seeing this happens on page twelve and thirteen of the story. Those are both half pages with half page ads. Yeah, Marvel did that, that for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I think DC might have. Much. Think DC might have done it. They also. did it more recently. I know they did it more recently. DC did a couple of years ago. Wow! Nobody loves the Hulk. Great new rock song. Yeah, I, I, I saw that one. I re- I vaguely remembered that, so I went onto YouTube and I found it again, and I listened to it, and it's it's nothing special. But and it's uh, playing but, under us right now. No, it's not. But it is going oh, <laughs> it is going to play after the closing okay. credits on the show. Um, I don't want it playing underneath us because it's it is actually a rock song, and it'll just be a little too much underneath us. Plus, second hit, better things. I'm was... just here to make more work for the producer. Was better things for Ben Grimm? I don't, know. I don't think so. <laughs> Nobody loves the Hulk, though. But also that's back on page uh, when Tony was changing. Change. When, when he, had, a, he, he had a fl- a flat mask. Flat. Well, yes. like it Came out of a printer. But also, he's got a. Uh, I, I, I page eight. It's he's got a shirt rip, basically, because he's oh, wearing yeah. the top of his outfit under his clothes. So I'm not used to seeing the. Iron Man shirt rip. Yep. Now, I well, do, he, well, he had to have the chest plate on at that time because right. oh, yeah, that's what I, was keeping his heart time. beating. Mm-hmm. So right. I don't know how you could do that and then have a love interest and not have her realize something's wrong. You would think you'd at least nipples. You would hug her at some point. And she'd say, "Wow, you're so cold." <laughs> <laughs> You 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 really do have six pack abs. <laughs> is that is is that some type of emblem you're wearing under your shirt? Uh yeah 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 yeah. Now I have a theory about this story because the the, the bulk of this is not actually the narrator telling the story, right? It's not an objective account. This is Tony telling the story to these stockholders and other executives. Mm-hmm. So I, so my theory is this is him telling his side of the story. So I think he was a lot, he knew a lot more that was going on than he's letting on. 
You notice when he's telling the story, it's all the other guy that messed up. The guy who I, I died, who he could I use as scapegoat. I'm not saying. I'm not saying his lawyer may have. Uh, you know, yeah, it's true. public relations people may have said, hey, why don't you go to this meeting and tell this story? Blame it on the dead guy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because because these days, past 2002-2003, after the Sarbanes-Oxley law, Tony would actually be held legally accountable, possibly, for some of this damage. That wasn't the case back in the 70s, but... Uh, or as much, but I still think there might be a little bit of a CYA going on here for Mr. Tony, covering himself, and maybe he's a little more to blame than we would than we would know. Yeah. I'm just saying, my conspiracy theory. That works for me. Also, it's kind of weird how this story is anti-solar power. Yeah, yeah, yeah solar power is bad. I don't know. I mean, I I could Three. not I could not square that circle. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and square it for you. I think when they wrote the story, they wanted to give Blaine a reasonable reason for what he did, and not make him just an evil industrialist. So he he thought he could cut these corners without causing the damage that he did, and that he would eventually have his solar power that would be a boon to society. Now, I just find it amusing. Specifically, they say, you can't do that. It's going to gather up the power that, that solar power is inherently unsafe. It's they're, they're, it's very strange. Yeah, they, I mean, they're trying to make it sound like if you soak up the sun's rays, there's not any more of them for the rest of us. You're going to use up all the rays. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand the logic of the story. Archie I mean, Goodwin would have to, to explain a, it to me, but... This story does finally put the blame for environmental degradation right where it belongs. On the sun, because we have got to stop that thing. <laughs> I, I like when when Tony uh, confronts Namor. Namor just punches him right in the face. You don't see that often. Yeah. Balao. Balao. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't, uh, what's his name, Johnny Craig, uh, he doesn't really have a feel for uh, for a fight scene. No, just a lot of punching, flying, shoving. Mm-hmm. Although the underwater one is impressive. I was going to say that first panel of the underwater I like, and then the fighting under the water isn't too bad. It's just they change the colors. It's you know you know which ones actually the the ones that just strike me as not good. Or the one, the one panel that I just don't like at all is after Tony punches Namor through the wall on page nine, when he's walking towards the wall, it just doesn't look right to me. It looks almost, it almost looks like, like somebody took a stick figure and then just thickened it up to turn it into Iron Man. And then when Namor comes out, like, uh, I kind of like that because he's all blurry that he's moving so fast. That kind of reminds me from the scene in Superman three. With like the evil Superman versus Clark Kent, when he punches him, flies at him. The other thing, the other thing about this story that just you know, like, I don't know. When I was reading it, I just had a tough time with it. Is I've always had kind of a tough time with the physics of Namor's little tiny foot wings propelling his entire weight, and not only is he doing that, but he's lifting. I don't know how many thousand pounds that giant boulder is that he and Iron Man are lifting together into the sky. 
You know, it's just <laughs> doesn't really seem well feasible I to me. I think uh, well, yeah, go so ahead. They, were, they were standing. They like ripped it from its base. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think Iron Man's doing the lion's share of the work with flying. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like I said, I have a tough time believing that those wings would even propel his weight. So if you gave him that weight and a tissue, I think it would be too much. <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna say it's like it's like when you're moving that piece of furniture with your buddies, and you know one of the guys he's really just sort of <laughs> walking next to it. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh yeah. He's not really carrying it. I, I, I maybe what Namor's doing here. That could be. <laughs> so. Uh, it's, I don't know. Any more comments on this one before we move on to the much more interesting story? <laughs> All right, I guess I'm going to rate it. Uh, like I said, I usually love me some Marie Severin, but there's something about... Uh, you know what it, it looks like to me? Is Tony's repulsor ray that he's shooting at Namor has actually already hit him and blasted about a third of his side away. <laughs> and if I, if I look at it that way, then I think it's not a bad drawing. It's 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 not a bad layout. I kind of like the the askew angle. I like the city in flames. I don't think Iron Man is drawn badly. I think it's really Namor's body that it, that I have a problem with. Um, I'm gonna say a C plus because it's better than average, but it's just inherently I have a problem with with Namor's body, the the 15 inch waist and all. Uh, the story is extremely heavy-handed, uh, but it's a quick read. It was silly, but it's kind of entertaining. It has a good message of sorts. You know, solar energy is bad, of course. We all know that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say a C-minus on the story. And the art is very, very inconsistent. It's not good superhero art, I don't think. Like I said, I could see this style working much, much better in an EC book, but I can't really see it for this, so I'm going to give a C- minus to the interior artwork as well, and I'm going to give the book just a C overall. I like the cover more than you did. Uh, I like that pose that's to, to me, is sort of a classic Iron Man pose, where he's sort of you know, flying one direction, spinning and firing the repulsor ray. There's almost like a ballet sort of look to that. You know, his toes are feet are together, his toes pointed. To me, that's sort of a classic, a classic Iron Man pose. And I like sort of the burning city in the background. So I gave that a B. Uh, the rest of the art inside, you know, didn't know much about Jimmy Craig, and you know, the job was okay. The figures were consistent enough. The fight scenes were okay. There were some stiffness, uh, you know. But it's 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 a little below average. It's a C minus. And the story, I'll just give that a straight C. Um, so C overall. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the cover. Iron Man looks. That almost looks like an Iron Man I've seen on the cover of a recent book, like one of the like the. Yeah. Like a, uh, there was an Iron Man miniseries with the Mandarin, I think, a few years back, and I that like that style that he's drawn right. in, like that, like it, it almost has like a Rocketeer look to it, right? That too, with the helmet and 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 such. So I mean, I kind of like the Iron Man figure, but the whole, it looks like he should be way further up in the air, 
then and he's really only what two feet off the ground, if that. <laughs> it just seems like <laughs> such a like a action shot that he should be like way up in the sky and not just you know hovering above the ground. Um, so that kind of throws it off for me. And Namor's, uh, yeah, his waist is way too small. And I just, I'm just going to give it a C. I mean, if I just had the Iron Man figure by itself, I'd say a B. Uh, but C overall. The interior art, it's adequate. It tells a story. It's not, you know, there's a few good choices with uh, some of the underwater shots, like we said. Um, but it's nothing really like, ooh, ah. So that's a C in the story is, well, for the sake of a joke, I'm going to give a D for death, which may be coming up in our next book, too. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, I'll give it a C. All right. For solar. Wait, never mind. um, Very clever. (laughs) And of course, I'm not sure solar spelt with a C, but it is. I'm, I'm I'm not a good speller. I mean, a lot of the C O L O R. Wait a minute, C O L O R. That's Kohler. <laughs> I thought about giving it a lower grade because so much of the action took place below the sea. Oh, ah, oh that is horrible. Ah, <laughs> that's so horrible that you fit in on this show. <laughs> hey, fit. Wait, thanks. <laughs> well, I guess that brings me to an issue that brags on the cover that it includes brand new adventures of TV and radio's favorite. So just think about all of those classic, I would give you a hint, it's from the 1950s, those classic comic book characters that appeared on radio and TV. Amos and Andy, uh, Jack Benny, Abbott and Costello. Mr. District Attorney. Huh? Mr. District Attorney, number 39. Hello? Mr. District Attorney, man. (laughs) Was that a Johnny Rivers song? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Very close. Very close. Uh, The inside cover says this is from National Comics Publications, but the cover says it's Superman, DC National Comics. This is Mr. District Attorney, number 39. Cover dated May, June 1954 to cover price of 10 Sense, yes, but but there's a markup involved. I was gonna say you paid more for this than it was when it came out. This exact copy, yep, it does have. You paid double, double the cover price. Half price books, twenty five cent clearance sticker. But guys, I did not pay that much for it. Oh, you tell. So you stole this one. I stole it from the package that. Greg Arucho sent me. So, yes. And I love the fact that he kept the 25 sticker, cent sticker on it. <laughs> so, the cover is by Kurt Swan and Stan K. We see a couple in a nice green car driving on a nice country lane, and approaching them is a hitchhiker in a big purple cloak. And if you look carefully, that is, in fact, a skeleton. And in a little circle, Mr. District Attorney himself is telling us that this expose of a hitchhiking racket may save your life. 
I thought it was going to be a horror book at first. Well, horrible. <laughs> yeah, the, the skeleton is, uh, that's more symbolic than actually, uh, rep- it's, it's, it's more representative of the themes, Bill, okay? Yeah, but they repeat it on the inside first page. Anyway. Yes, but, now this issue did have four separate stories in it. We are focusing on the cover story, Death, Thumbs or Ride, which was written by, well, I couldn't find that information anywhere. Jack Schiff edited the books, ed- edited this series, and sometimes the editor would do the scripting as well, so there's a chance of that. According to Mike's Amazing World, it was penciled by Howard Purcell and inked by Charles Harris. And we start. Oh, but you- wait, but wait, wait, wait. Hmm? Should we do the Binky Says Welcome Amigo story? We could all take a part. <laughs> We'll get to the extra stuff later. I do see that that I don't know which character he is, but he has a bow tie similar to mine. (laughs) A little oversized. And there's a character named Bill, too. Say Bill. And and one named Allergy. I do have allergies, so that could be. Anyway, no. It could be Allenergy. (laughs) What did you guys try to avoid? What are, you, what are you guys trying to put off? Oh, I don't nothing. understand just, why you're stalling. I'm just... <laughs> stalling? <laughs> 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 oh, everybody will figure that joke out when we get to the end of the book. In about 20 minutes, that'll be really <laughs> funny. <laughs> All right, quit stalling and get on with the book. I don't want to have to hit, hit you upside the head. You're trying too hard, Bill. <laughs> Is there is, is, is there truncate laughter? Because like, we, we might need to use that function here. Uh, so we start with, your district attorney speaks. It was the most alarming case to come before my office in many months. For it directly threatened the welfare of unsuspecting citizens. Thusly, I hope that you, the public, will be alerted to the dangers of hitchhiking as you read this account. For every highway leading in and out of a city can become a death trap when death thumbs are ride. Now, the DA's department was facing one of the most difficult challenges in their history, a rash of people being killed by hitchhikers. And they had no possible leads, no usual suspects to bring up for questioning. Yet that was only half of it. As one morning, Romero Costa's car, it wouldn't start. The merchant did not see the man who had been messing with his auto the night before. And because his car won't start, he has to hitchhike to work because he had to get to work so as not to lose his latest sale. And a car just happens by, picks him up, but it turns out that the drivers are the bad guys. And they kill the merchant and steal the goods, but claim self-defense when Mr. District Attorney arrives. So taking advantage of this fact that there was this hitchhiker killer on the loose. The merchant's clothes were traded out for bum's gear, so it looked like he was the hitchhiker killer. Now, the villains are smart enough to end their conversations. They say that this racket can't go on forever, but then they just keep running the same scam over and over again, and as the bodies pile up, 
the clues don't add up and Mr. District Attorney knows something organized is going on, but the idea that all the bums in town have turned into, you know, robbing motorists, that just doesn't make sense. So, Mr. DA, he decides to uh, uh, go on, you know, either have to come up with some sort of plan. So, meanwhile, the roadway roadway racketeers, that's what they're calling them, they have cased their next victim's house, a guy who made some big winnings at the track. And he's going to have to head into town the next day to deposit that cash at the bank. But they arrange it. So his car's messed up, and he has to hitchhike, and they pick him up. And I know what you're thinking. If they know where he lives and uh-huh, knows he uh-huh. has money, why not just rob him at the house? Well, obviously, they can't do that because um plot plot because comics <laughs> so the next morning the da and his assistant go out to pick up hitchhikers on their own and try to see what's going on and the, the assistant picks up a hitchhiker and through a strange circumstances mr da he has to do some hitchhiking himself and he gets picked up by the roadway racketeers who assume that he's the racetrack guy because even though they case the place, eh, I guess they fell asleep. I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened there. And in the fight that follows, the car crashes to a stop. And the two bad guys have to get moving, but they don't have a car because it's just crashed. So what are they going to have to do? <laughs> Uber? No, no, no. Lyft? No. They have to hitchhike, and then they twist a fate right out of the Twilight Zone. They end up getting into the car of the actual hitchhiker killer, who, because they were hitchhikers, he kills them. And in the last panel, we are exposited with the fact that within 24 hours, through clues found on the bodies of the dead criminals, clues, which it would have been kind of cool to see and follow the investigation and stuff, but no, we'll just write it in a couple sentences. I don't know. It could have maybe made for an interesting comic book. But anyway, it turns out that Mr. District Attorney rounded up the entire highway gang. And let's see. Wait. Wait for it. He. Uh, your calculations for murder were nearly perfect, meager, but you should have allowed for the fact that identification on your own mobsters could lead to you. Take them out. They've got a date with the executioner. Book them, Tano. <laughs> the end. Because Mr. District Attorney, our square-jawed all-American lawman hero, does not really believe in a little thing we like to call the jury trial. The process. <laughs> Uh, I agree cue, with him. Cue the, <laughs> cue the police squad music. Da, 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 and they all stand there and stay, you know, like they're trying not to move. Mr. District Attorney, Mr. Judge, Mr. Executioner. All in one. And you know, I'm the District Attorney and I'm the good guy because I have a white hat. Which he does. All now, just them. as a, a point of information, Mr. District Attorney was a radio crime drama which aired from 1939 to 1953. The series focused on a crusading DA, initially known only as Mr. District Attorney, or Chief. Near the end of the radio run, the series also appeared on TV, 
1951 through 1952. 1954, it was revived in syndication. And on television, the DA had a name, Paul Garrett, and the radio version picked that up eventually. And DC Comics published this book, Mr. District Attorney, for 67 bi-monthly issues between 1948 and 1959. So, Paul, you were a kid when this was on the radio in the 1940s. I, you remember it, right? A kid? I was fully grown. <laughs> I used, to, I used to I used to sit in front of the radio. Right after Fibber McGee and Molly was done, we'd listen to Mr. District no, Attorney. You, you're not that old. I'm not? Wait, close. Come on, it's no. close. You were born in the... Well, I was not born in the 50s, you idiot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was, say, you're I was born in the, in the 60s. 60s, thank you. Okay, I was like, wait a minute, you're not fooling to me. To be fair, it was just barely into the 60s, but still. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, and the only reason you know that is because you were only slightly further hey, into hey, the 60s. Hey. <laughs> I was at the end, I was in 69, dude. There you go, perfect. Yeah, so no. We covered a whole decade. <laughs> Between so, us. Between us. So what do you guys think? I had never heard of Mr. District Attorney <laughs> before. Who, who, who played him on TV? Was it anybody we know? No, Raymond I Burr. I did not read. Raymond Burr. <laughs> I did not recognize any names. But in my mind, it was Raymond Burr or Jack Webb. <laughs> who else? He did sort of have Jack Webb's it was, approach. Uh, it was Fred McMurray. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that I mean, what did they say? There were like eighty issues of this comic. Yep. So Except, you would you would think it was a yeah. fairly popular show to to spawn a comic that lasted that long, and you would think that we you know even maybe you know maybe the kids today, you know that I chased off my lawn earlier, uh, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't have any familiarity with it. But people of our ilk who are so into right. this type of trivia and everything, you would think we would have at least have you know some basic familiarity with it and i have none something nope nothing does not ring a bell i thought it was a joke i'm like mr district attorney what but uh, i mean from from a comic book point of view it's you know it's fairly well done it's it's a decent story i mean it's silly it's you know the, the, the motivation not the motivation but the plot that they go through the extravagant plot things that yeah, they is, go through. Is just, stupid. just go rob the guys <laughs> do breaking it, and entering like anybody else you bunch of nitwits but then it wouldn't be about hitchhiking hello it's kind of like a psa if you think about and it and then they get picked up by the real hitchhiker <laughs> killer yeah, yeah those last couple pages everybody <laughs> was let's everybody hitchhike and pick <laughs> up hitchhikers hey there's a bo- there's a body back there how right you are he was stupid enough to give me a ride. Yipe. We've gotten in with an actual hitchhiker killer. <laughs> so it was a little crazy. It's, it definitely is. But, uh, you know, for, for a comic book of the era that you took this from, I think it's entertaining. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I thought the artwork was okay for what it shows. Um, you know, I, I didn't think this was terrible. Uh, I was more taken aback by some of the ads which we should probably discuss <laughs> now now just just so everybody knows uh you know alan got this book as he described uh and then he scanned it for us so that we could see what it was he was you know he was going to cover uh and along with the book itself or the story itself he he 
He scanned a few of the ads for us mm-hmm. to review. There's well, the bi- well, there's, there's really the... only one ad. There's well, there's the, uh... the Binky uh, cartoon is a page, and then uh, the Casey, Casey the, the cop. cop, and then there's one ad, yeah. And I am just appalled. I'm not a build, I'm not an island. I am appalled <laughs> that, that, that this actually existed in, what was this, 1952? 1954, yeah. 54. Wow. You know, scant nine years after the end too, of... Uh, too, soon, too soon. Too <laughs> soon. I, I don't... I'm not normally a person who uses that expression, but in this time, I think it is too soon. Free. And, and, While I, they last. Go. I'm, I'm not going to say it. Ten, and then it has in quotations, Hitler heads. Ten unusual stamps showing evil dictator. All, All different. different. Getting harder and harder to obtain. I wonder why. Mail coupon at once. We will send you this complete fascinating set of 10 Hitler stamps. All different, getting scarier all the time. Yet they are yours free while they last to secure names for our mailing list, which we will later let you join our our supremacist organization. (laughs) These valuable stamps come from four different countries, including short-lived nation of Bohemia, Moravia, Germany, <laughs> that's right, Germany wasn't a country yet at this point anymore, uh, Russia, Ukraine, and Russia, Ostlin, all sought after, supply limited, so don't ask for more than one collection, because <laughs> we'll put if you on the watch list. you ask for more than one, you're definitely on the list. <laughs> free advice on stamp collecting, in addition to the free Hitler stamps, we will also include other interesting offers for your inspection, the Mao Zedong stamps, the Hitler stamp, the Stalin stamps, and the Lenin stamps. <laughs> And Idi Amin will actually come to your house <laughs> and, and deliver. Them. And uh, in future days, we'll have the Pol Pot stamps for you. I, I mean, it was ten cents, by the way, to help with postage and handling. Now, to be fair, it does say that this special offer may have to be withdrawn soon. <laughs> oh, and so, they'll also send you a free book on how to collect stamps. Perfect. Wow. I will try. Oh, wait, wait, to wait, Post wait. this ad. On the I don't back to the bins I, I page. I don't even know if you should. When this, when, well, I'm not going to do it. Normally, we have a conversation like this. I just throw it onto the page so people have seen it by the time the episode comes up. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait until yeah. the episode is posted so that people yeah. actually have some sort of frame of reference when they see this. But it's just, I, I just find it amazing. I really do. I can't believe that Let me read. <laughs> so shortly after World War II that. This was something advertised in an American comic book. So this is the last paragraph of the ad. Be among the first to have this valuable set of Hitler stamps. Your friends will envy you for it and want to buy the set from you. It will become one of the most prized sets of any stamp collection. But you must hurry if you want to get the 10 Hitler stamps free. This special offer, like Paul said, may have to be withdrawn soon. Rush coupon now with 10 cents to help cover postage and handling. If coupon has already been clipped, send $10 directly to Littleton Stamp Company, Department blah, 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 Littleton, New Hampshire. And for wow. anybody interested, do a, you could do a quick Google image search of Hitler stamps. There are a lot. Sure. Shockingly. Yeah, and I think, you know... You know, whether it's just that, you know, the war was, it was a real event, you know, it was, it was, well, it was, okay, it was so it fresh that it was part of history. It, stamps, it, it weirdly hadn't gotten this. 
these stamps may have been created know. before. I mean, in Hitler's early rise to power, not in his later years. So, I mean, these stamps... They may have been created then, but they were advertised created, yeah. here. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm not, you know, you know so, some people might say, oh, my God, why would anyone create a Hitler stamp? Well, before he became who he is known for being, he was just a, you know, a world leader. I'm sure I can get... Um, Stamps that have uh, go ahead <laughs> the leader of North Korea. You know, I'm sure I can get Kim Jong Un stamps and you know Trump stamps. <laughs> Trump stamps. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you find that any that Trump was, stamps out there. Well, you know, the Trump stamp goes right on my back. Wait, never mind. That's the wrong. That's a that's whoa, a different whoa. tr val mp <laughs> stamp. Fascinating. So it you really can see is. why I, when I got to this page, I knew it had to be included in the scan. Uh, now, just, just, just to describe this here, uh, I did, I did the image search for Hitler stamps, and I'm seeing all these different things. But down at the bottom, one of the very last images is a skeleton head, and it's got kind of a shadow on it of the Hitler hair at the top and the Hitler mustache. <laughs> and it's, it's. it's just freaky looking. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am without words. <laughs> I believe the, uh, the exact quote in the chat is, oh my God, nine exclamation points. That last ad is incredible. Five exclamation points. That was, that was <laughs> what I sent to you in the chat. Yes. <laughs> Crazy. It, so it, does that does that increase or decrease your overall ratings for the issue? Frankly, it doesn't affect my ratings for the issue <laughs> because it's not the it's not the actual story. It's the you know it's an ad. It's a, I although we did uh we did add points for the miniature dog, didn't we, Bill? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the miniature dog. I was trying to remember what the one was. Yeah, the miniature dog. Free order way for a miniature dog. All right, so you know what? I'm taking away half a point on on each on the, my overall rating for the Hitler stamps because by the time this came out, they should have known better. Yeah, it's true. Poor taste. It's still poor taste. So, go ahead, Alan. Rate your book. I guess I can start. What? We're uh, not going to read the other hats. We're not. <laughs> we're not going to read the stories. Bill is dying for us to talk about Binky. He says, "Welcome, amigo." Well, to we could his do, new Spanish-speaking friend in town. We could do K K Casey the cop. <laughs> Who would be K Casey the cop in in our? Well, I don't know of the three of us here, but in our uh, would uh, Scott Gardner be <laughs> the cop? <laughs> and Arthur Rat and uh, Chris Hunt, Chris would be the robber. You think? Yes, exactly. yes, Honeywell would do the robber. I don't know if, if, we, if you know. Since this is 1954, you'd need somebody who does a brogue to do Casey the Cop. Hey, it's a burglar! I caught you, you're under arrest. Okay. I was only robbing the store because I'm hungry. Hey, then why didn't you take something to eat instead of stealing all the cash out of the register? Because I'm a proud man, I make it a rule to pay for everything I eat. That one wasn't bad. That's so stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't deny that. Anyway, go ahead, uh, Alan. Read your book. 
Yeah, rate right. it. We don't have, have have to read the other one. There's way too much dialogue. But I'll, but I gotta say, what is up with that kid's bow tie? Did, is is a bat sucking on his neck, or is that a tie? What the hell is that? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Paul's gonna have to post that picture too now. And the end of and the final. Oh my. Well, no, no, no. The one I pointed out before we started, where the two kids are waving <laughs> goodbye to the kid, really ties in well with the last with the, with the ad at the end of the book because they're in silhouette, each with one hand raised, waving goodbye. But of course, they're not moving or waving. Yeah, you get the you get the idea. It's called Zeke being Heil, my friend. It's called it being friendly. Yes, being friendly. Yes, as they're saying to the new Spanish kid, you know, like we're going to kill you later after we show you our Hitler collection of stamps. Uh, where where was I? You were going to rate your book. Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> read this whole ad with German accents. <laughs> hey, Arnold, dig that new Mexican... Wait, now I'm Arnold. Dig that new Mexican kid who moved in town last week. I hear he lives down in Shocktown. It doesn't speak English too well. Yeah, like I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you have to hear judgy, him. Arnold. It's a little judgy. Yeah, well, you have to hear him speak Spanish. No, I know him. He's traveled all over the country, practically. Hey, Pablo. All right, that's all I'm going to do. It's a terrible German stereotype. I mean, and I am German, and you'd think I wouldn't pick on my own people, but, well, it you, probably You don't want to throw in the, the Spanish-speaking uh, uh, stereotype as well and insult uh, another big <laughs> chunk of the audience? Or <laughs> uh, thank, you for, thank you for talking with me. I need to learn the English more. Maybe I teach you a little Spanish, no? Yes, see, there we go. Now, so I have the Ernie Chan impersonation that I've uh, pissed people off with. Now I have, I do Arnold, I do Germans, and now I do Spanish people. You know, I'm just an a-hole. I don't see you guys defending me. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't hear us <laughs> arguing that. Okay. Uh, I, I would like to say that the cover, although not a dramatic scene, and the skeleton is almost too subtle to notice... But I did like the color scheme in a weird way. It's bright blue and green and purple. Now, the title, Mr. District Attorney, that, that title takes up about I don't know, 30% of the cover or something. Uh, that's kind of a bummer. But, you know, it's a bit bland, but there's nothing wrong with it. So I, I, I'd give that a C plus. And it does have the – I'm giving it an extra grade because it has a 25-cent sticker on it. And even though that's a markup – I'm still counting that as a as a bonus points. Uh, inside art, no, there's nothing distracting or negative about it. No moments of impossible anatomy. No one who's uh, got a really? 15, 15 inch waist and a fifty inch chest. Or okay, but what about the guy at the bottom of page three? Boy, that's a scary looking guy. I I know he's a criminal and everything, but man, well, he's, a, he's a criminal. There there there. There are a lot of ugly people in this book. But he's a but, well-versed criminal because he's writing out his secret plan on a chalkboard. Yeah, I mean... He's like a teacher. Substitute, <laughs> substitute teacher on the side. <laughs> he's a substitute teacher at uh, the college I work at. This um, is my business model on how to rob people on the road. It, I thought I thought the bad guys all looked like bad guys. They all looked different. There was nothing dynamic, but 1950s comics were not necessarily known for being dynamic. So it works. I'm giving it a B. The story, 
it covered one of society's scourges, hitchhiking. And <laughs> let's be honest, modern comics just aren't willing to go here. I when was the last time that subject was covered in a big two comic? I think right here, sixty-five years ago, here, Mister District Attorney is doing this dramatic expose of it. I don't know. I'm pretty sure there was a Captain America comic about. Yeah, uh, sure, actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the I'm bad joking. guys, the, the, the <laughs> I'm sure the hard traveling heroes probably ran across some. Oh yeah, yeah. Hitchhiker. When he was nomad, he was going so, across. See, see. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, the bad guy's plots didn't make a whole lot of sense, though I did like the irony of the ending. Everyone's hitchhiking, and the bad guys, they get into the wrong car. So, it's, for the 1950s, it's, I guess, a little above average, maybe B-. minus. I give it a B- minus overall. And I don't always find the superhero stories of the 50s all that interesting. There's always... You know, some good stuff there, but those stories seem, you know, they can be clunky or a little silly. But again, I think this might be a little above average for a, a 1950s comic. It's better than F Troop. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. That was a 60s oh, comic. Ah, see. <laughs> so, yeah, I think for, for books of this nature, I try to think of it from the time it came out and not judge it by today's standards. Uh, which is clearly what you were doing as well. I like the cover. I think it's kind of compelling. I wish they hadn't done the ch- the change of color for the title part of it and just had the picture behind it with the title in- you know, merged into it. I think that would have been better, but I think it's okay. I think it's kind of, you know, it, it it speaks to a market that would be buying like EC comics at this point. And that was probably the most popular books that were coming out at that time. So I think this cover is probably good to get kids to pick it up for the uh, 10 cents that it cost. So I'm going to give the cover a B. The interior art, again, looking at it from the time it came out, it's fairly effective. It reminds me of the art in like the Marvel horror books from this age, from this time, or even you know ones that were coming out in the 60s. I don't know with a lot of them or if they're reprints or if they actually came out new in the 60s for many of them, but very similar artwork, and I would say a B on that as well. The story itself is a very contrived thing. Uh, and the twist on it really isn't all that great. So I'm going to say a B- minus on the story. And overall, I'm going to give the book a B. Wow, we're really grading this higher than the last one. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, and that, I that is, I, I, ha- I have to say, though, that is because I'm trying to grade it for yeah, books yes. of that era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I don't think it's a better book than the, the later one, but I think uh, the, the later one didn't reflect the era it came out in as well. Yeah, it was the other one was about, what, 15, 16 years later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if the cover, like, if you look at the opening splash, the title is incorporated into the splash, and it's almost just a reversal of the shot, although the car color's different, the robe's different, but you have two people in a car coming upon a skeletal figure in a robe, but the Mr. District Attorney is kind of uh, is is in the clouds up in the trees, 
And I think that would have, you know, if they had just cleared out all that blue, that might have made that look a little better. So, um, and yeah, I really like the color of that car. I'd like to have a car that that's that color green. I'd actually like to have that car. <laughs> it's convertible. It's nice. It's death stalking it. Death stalking it. But with that man, it's... it's Nasty redhead by your side. Hey, easy now. <laughs> um, so, I do you know she's nasty? She's waving at us. She's like, oh, <laughs> hi, Death. How you doing? <laughs> this cover made me think of the Creep Show 2 movie with the, guy, with the hitchhiking guy that the lady hits or whatever. Go my way, lady. That one that she keeps like running into him, and you know the story I'm talking. You guys have seen the movie, right? You're just you're just hanging me out the dry, aren't you? Mm-hmm. you sons of yep. bitches. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for the ride, lady. That's what he says. Thanks for the ride, lady. So that that's that's what made me think. This oh, what is this? A horror book? Huh? It's about hitchhiking. What? And district attorneys. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, that's scary. I know what I'm dressing up as this Halloween. Yeah, I've, got, I've hey, I've, I've, I can pull off Mr. District Attorney's hair. It's got those white spots above the, above the ears. I get, I've got those. You, it's, yes, it's yes, you, you have ears. Yes, a little more hair than I do. Both the temples there, but a little more hair than I do. But uh, you know. Uh, you could just get yourself. You could get yourself a William Shatner-like hairpiece, and you'd be all set. Perfect. Yeah, nobody will ever notice. So uh, the art, yeah, the the interior art, it's it's good for its time frame. There's nothing's nothing's really off model. Everything's, uh, I mean, the cars look pretty cool. Again, I got a thing for the cars. Um, so I'm gonna give that a B as well. Did I give the cover a grade? No, I don't think I actually gave a cover a grade. Did I? B. And the story. Um, now, are we gonna deduct a, deduct anything for the Hitler ad? <laughs> I don't think you can hold the story. Okay. The task we around. can't blame Hitler for the story. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not what I. <laughs> that's right. He was completely innocent in this case. It's like little baby Hitler. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to give this story a B. So, overall, B book. All right. So, yeah, Hitler heads. Um. So, does that, so, does everybody understand what Stalin, the Stalin joke was now that we did like 30 minutes ago? Why we were Stalin to get to the story? Never mind. If you have to explain it, it's not Bill, funny. Bill. But they might have forgot. And, and they were thankful for that. <laughs> but anyway, thank I'm thankful for Professor Allen bringing this book to us and the ad for 10 Hitler heads. Uh, well, I I, it's something I will I'm never thank- forget. Well, there you go. And I am Ten. thankful for the books that you and Bill brought. <laughs> Shut up, you <laughs> And I'm thankful for everybody who wasted their time listening to us. We'll see you all next week. On the 12th day of Stalin, Hitler can't... Wait, never mind. Sorry. No, no, no. Ten Hitler head stamps. No, no, no. (laughs) All right. That'll do it. That'll do, pig. Uh, You boys are awesome. Uh, Thanks for coming on. This was an awesome book, and I'll say right back at you. (laughs) thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.